I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air, and this is your weekly briefing for the week ending July 30th. All it took was a trade war, a pandemic lockdown, and the subsequent disruption of worldwide commerce for average citizens to finally grasp something they'd been mostly oblivious about. How important it is to be able to manufacture integrated circuits. Of course, the electronics and financial industries already knew that, but that's no reason to get smug. Many people in the electronics and financial industries had to be slapped in the head by a trade war, a pandemic lockdown, and the subsequent disruption of worldwide commerce before they were forced to admit that they were flat out wrong about something. It actually does make a difference where semiconductors are produced. Well, the most advanced ICs anyway. Because it turns out that it's hard to wage a trade war if you're not controlling the goods being traded, and the goods in this case are the world's most advanced ICs. There are only three companies in the entire world capable of making the most advanced semiconductors. There are TSMC in Taiwan, Samsung in South Korea, and Intel in the U.S. And lately, we haven't been too sure about Intel. With Intel experiencing delays on some innovations, and then talking about going to TSMC to make some of its chips, American technologists, financiers, and politicians alike have become alarmed that the U.S. might be in danger of losing control of the most important chips in the trade war with China, notably semiconductor chips. What Intel can or cannot do has impact on more than just data centers or laptop makers. It has geopolitical ramifications. Earlier this week, Intel announced a technological roadmap that makes clear its intention to reestablish its world-class manufacturing bona fides. This week, we're talking with Sanjay Natarajan, Intel Senior Vice President and Co-General Manager of Logic Technology Development at Intel. This is Natarajan providing an overview of what Intel announced on Monday. Yesterday, we laid out one of the most detailed technology roadmaps for process development, for packaging development, one of the most detailed roadmaps we've ever provided. And we talked about how we're accelerating our clock rate of innovation and how we're putting ourselves on a clear path for performance per watt leadership by 2025. So we talked about introducing a clear, consistent node naming framework, how we describe our nodes going forward uh, after 10 nanometer superfin, we've changed that nomenclature. Uh, to make it more accurate, to make it more uh, useful for the industry and our customers to help them make better informed decisions. We announced two breakthrough technologies in the process, silicon technologies, RibbonFET, which is going to be our first new transistor architecture in over a decade, PowerVIA, which is going to be an industry first backside power delivery system. We announced two uh, exciting technologies in the packaging arena, Foveros Omni and Foveros Direct. We announced that uh, we are working closely with the equipment vendor ASML to receive the first high NA production tool that they're working on and how we're going to be really uh, well positioned to lead on bringing that technology to production. We announced a couple of important customer announcements for the Intel Foundry Services uh, business, AWS uh, and Qualcomm, and we you know, announced positive, strong statements from a variety of uh, players in the ecosystem, applied materials. I mentioned ASML, IBM, iMac, LAM, 
Tokyo Electron. The broader theme, though, is that this is a, a underscores how Intel is the only company with everything: the process technology, packaging technology, design technology, uh, platform, software, scale to deliver leadership products. And it all ties nicely into our IDM 2.0 announcement that Pat did back in March, where we have really a goal of being, you know, the leader in in uh, silicon technology, and it has sort of three components: the traditional Intel design and Intel manufactured products, the Intel designed but externally manufactured products, and then the externally designed, internally manufactured products that are part of the IFS world. We'll get to our interview with Sanjay Natarajan in a moment. First, here are some of the things you can read about in EE Times this week. My colleague George Leopold is an authority on the NASA program. You heard him on this program a few episodes back, conducting the interview with author Jeff Chessel about Chessel's nonfiction account of John Glenn becoming the first American to orbit the Earth. George and one of his research partners did some investigating and just cleared up one of the enduring mysteries in NASA history. In 1961, Mercury astronaut Gus Grissom was the second American to fly into suborbital space. Disaster struck when he returned. Before he could be picked up out of the ocean, the hatch on his capsule blew. The capsule filled with water, sank, and was lost. The prevailing opinion has been that Grissom screwed up somehow. But did he really? George and his research partner looked at the evidence and realized... Grissom was not to blame. Read George Leopold's account of the historical sleuthing he did to clear Grissom's reputation 60 years after the event. Artificial intelligence continues to be a hot topic and the subject of ongoing investment. Read our story about AI startup Blaze and why its chips are becoming popular in the automotive market. The market for wearables is held back a bit because of the rigidity of chips built on silicon. A bit of flexibility would potentially open up new application areas. We've got a story on a startup that has put an ARM processor on a flexible substrate. The technology is called Plastic Arm. The project to develop the technology is called Plastic Armpit. I had to look that up. I so dearly love that that is a true fact. We've also got our latest installment of our Artful Engineer video series. This time around, Junko Yoshida talks with an applications engineer from Texas Instruments who happens to have perfect pitch, a skill he leans on to help create vocal harmony arrangements for a cappella groups. For all these stories and more industry news and analysis, visit our website at eetimes.com. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left, and you should see links to all of these stories we mentioned today. All right, back to Intel's new roadmap. Earlier in the show, you heard today's guest, Sanjay Natarajan, provide the overview, which included a progression of five process nodes in four years, innovations that include a new transistor construction called a ribbon FET, and new interconnect technology called Power via. The company has been among those investigating new packaging technologies. The trend for the last few decades has been to get more efficient by putting more and more functions on the same chip. That's the trend toward systems on chips or SOCs. 
The latest trend is in the opposite direction. It's to disaggregate many of those functions and combine them in innovative packages that are themselves becoming more of a functional element in the combination of disaggregated chips, sometimes referred to as chiplets. In a moment, you'll hear a bit about some of the new packaging technologies that Intel is pursuing. Sanjay Natarajan was at Intel from 1993 to 2015. When he left the company, he went to work for equipment supplier Applied Materials. Earlier this year, new Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger lured Natarajan back. He rejoins Intel as Senior Vice President and Co-General Manager of Logic Technology Development. Here's my discussion with Sanjay. Pretend I'm a customer and I have to make a decision between those companies that can provide, you know, the top leading edge processing foundry services. How do I make a decision? What do I ask? What are the criteria I should keep in mind when I come to Intel, Samsung, TSMC? Yeah, and I won't comment on those other companies directly, right? Let me stay talking about Intel. Uh, well, Intel the, the, services, right? My question is about the criteria. Yeah. So on those criteria, I think one big thing you got to ask yourself is, does the company I'm talking to offer everything I need? You know, and this is where Intel is very strong. We have process technology, we have packaging technology, we have manufacturing at scale. We have the design enablement and design technology. We have all of this stuff that include and software platforms. We have everything to bring to bear to enable a customer to be successful. So I think one of the questions you ask is, am I getting everything I need or am I not getting everything I need? We believe we offer everything people are going to need because, because of all the components I just went through. Now, if you want to take that question a little different direction and pivot into a couple specific technology areas, on the packaging technology, you know, I think we're very, very excited about our Foveros Omni, Foveros Direct coming in 2023, Foveros and EMIB uh, available now as really leadership packaging technologies. They're going to enable form factors that you, you know, we can't even imagine right now. On the silicon technology, we've got a clear path to leadership in 2025. Uh, and you know, one proof point we talked about Qualcomm's interest in Intel 20A yesterday. They're a very sophisticated, savvy company, very expert in assessing this question that you just asked me. And they've basically come out and said, you've got something that looks pretty interesting. Your Intel 20A looks pretty interesting. We want to go farther. Uh, so that to me is another example of sort of a proof point of saying, you know, what we're putting together, the roadmap we've got, a very aggressive roadmap of five nodes in four years. This is exactly on our right path to leadership. So it sounds like Intel's one of Intel's differentiators is uh, sort of the the one stop shop kind of approach. Is that a is that a reasonable interpretation of what you just told me? Well, I'm going to say you know again, not really talking about what anyone else can do. I'm going to just focus on what I think Intel can do, and Intel can do kind of the only company with the combination of process packaging, silicon platform, software, and scale. Uh, we think that is a that is a true value added that we bring. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm struggling with the notion that I think Intel over the years has made a very good case for having expertise in all of those five categories that you just reeled off for me. But similar expertise does exist out in the world. 
And again, speaking as if I were a potential customer, I might be able to assemble a similar package elsewhere. Now the question becomes performance, efficiency, um, maybe it's die area, maybe it's the size of the solution I end up with. Uh, maybe I'm a smartphone manufacturer and, and heat dissipation is extremely important to me. Or perhaps I am a data center operator and that would be a whole different set of priorities. I mean, the same list of engineering concerns, but perhaps a different list of priorities. And so what I'm asking is, when if you're looking at, I don't know, power draw, uh, size, area, and the answer might depend on, on what my purpose is, who I am as a customer, those are the criteria I'm trying to get to. Yeah, what, what, yeah. You know, what are my decision criteria yeah, so yeah, I can me, tell the difference? Absolutely. Let me get to that. Um, you know, so I think there's a couple ways to answer it. I think your, your broader statement is it's going to be different for different customers. The value proposition is, you know, very different if you're in a kind of server data center market versus a fully unplugged, very low power market. And, and you know, it's a very broad space, right? So, so the specific answer is going to vary by customer. But, right. the, other, but the, the, the parameters are, hey, what kind of packaging technology do you need? How advanced does that need to be? What kind of process technology do you need? Do you need high uh, performance at a high voltage, high power operating point? Do you need it at a low voltage, low power operating point? Do you need a, a, a process that has enough dynamic range to span it? Do you need and benefit from some of the real architectural innovations coming like you know, RibbonFET and PowerVIA? And if you think you do, hey, company, do you have a track record of doing this? How many transistor innovations have you led in the past? Well, I mean, you know my answer. We let it on strain silicon. We let it on high K metal gate. We let it on FinFET. You have a track record. So if you're going to say, well, hey, I really need that advanced transistor technology, I'm going to talk to the guys who have a track record, who've done this before. Well, that's kind of a, that's kind of fascinating because that kind of leads us into some of the innovations that you that you Intel were talking about yesterday. Uh, or Monday, rather, and and those include your take. My understanding is is that the ribbon fet is a variation of the gate all around approach. Is that correct? Uh, that, yes yeah, or that, no? And then and then how do I? I mean, other companies are doing gate all around. Now the question is, how do I evaluate which one might actually be good for me? Right. Yeah. So the first answer to your first question is yes. A ribbon FET is what we're calling our implementation of gate all around. And you're absolutely right. Everybody has been talking about gate all around for a while. That the, the basic architecture has been described. A lot of us have been working on it. That's not a secret. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether we are going to be, we were, to, to walk you back again, we were the first on three big transistor innovations in the past two decades. We went to uh, strain silicon first. We went to high K metal gate first. We went to FinFET first. And on all three of those, I just want to remind everybody, there were alternate approaches being worked on at the time. You know, for instance, if you talk about strain silicon, we did uniaxial strain. Other companies did biaxial strain at the time. High key metal gate, we did a replacement metal gate uh, approach. Other companies did what they called a gate first approach. Same thing on FinFET. There were alternatives on these things that other companies said that we're going this way. Intel is going this way. 
Today, if you look at it, everybody in the industry has collapsed to what Intel chose. They, the uniaxial strain, gate blast, FinFET, that's the, that's the default for everybody right now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of maintain this notion that I don't know if we're going to be first to gate all around. That's, that's a fact. Everybody's talking about their dates. Uh, you know, I've disclosed our dates will be 2024 in the first half. Uh, I do have confidence that we're going to be best at it when we do it. Uh, and the kinds of things you look at, back to your other question about what does what best mean? Well, best means how per, what performance are you achieving at a low voltage? What performance are you achieving at a high voltage? You know, something like Intel uses turbo mode and, and it's very valuable to our customers. When you're in this turbo mode, what kind of performance are you delivering to the customer? What kind of power consumption are you having at low voltage and at high voltage? You know, what kind of and how much are you enabling uh, that, you know, the good use of area? How much stuff can you put in a square inch of, of, a, da, of, a, of a chip? These are things, these are metrics we track very closely. These are metrics I think, you know, uh, customers are looking at as well, at least the technical aspects of it. Uh, and I think we're going to look very favorable in this regard. Power via, go ahead. Yes, you just mentioned Power Via, and I'll definitely give you a chance to talk about that because that was really cool. Having this history of innovation is one thing, okay? But you know as well as I do that um, your customers are all about what have you done for me lately, right? So, and I see you nodding. The thing that fascinates me is, given what you just told us, Intel has chosen correctly historically. It's not so much that you've innovated. Everybody's been innovating, but you've chosen the correct innovations. Do you feel that Intel has a process for making good decisions or were you just lucky? I don't think we were just lucky. And I don't think it's likely to be lucky that many times, uh, frankly. You know, that comes from having the right expertise, the right decision-making criteria, the right judgments about the data, uh, which ultimately gets you to making the best uh, choices. We are making some changes and have been making some changes to make sure that we maintain this cadence of, of execution. Mm -hmm. You know, we're now very focused on execution more to hit these five nodes in the next four years. We absolutely have to be, you know, have our eye on the ball every minute. And we made some changes to help with that. So one of the things we're doing is taking a, a, a much broader engagement into the ecosystem and making sure that we are getting the best advice, the best help from everybody in the ecosystem. You know, and we talked about uh, applied materials. We talked a lot about ASML and how we work very closely with them. Um, you know, we talked about some other companies in the ecosystem that we're working very closely with. This is in part to make sure that we are getting constant and solid validation of the directions we're taking here. Um, that's one thing we're doing differently. Another thing we're doing differently is what you can see is a little bit more incremental approach. So. We're doing a more of an annual cadence, like I said, five nodes in the next four years. Each of them is going to be a little bit more incremental so that we're going to be able to have a very fine resolution on our schedule progress. Are we meeting the power performance area goals that we set from this node to the next one? Are we getting this incremental amount of goodness done on schedule? This will be a way we can kind of track our own progress more precisely, but also you know, show people, hey, this is what we said we're going to do in 2022, and we did it. And then this is what we say we're going to do in 2023, and we did it. So we're going to be able to have that proof point, not just for our own benefit, but also for everyone else's. Right, um, right. 
So I cut you off talking about power by it, and I wanted to ask you about that because that's another one of the innovations that you introduced on, on Monday, and I want to have you explain what that is. Basically, uh, in the uh, when it was introduced, you're basically I think the the shorthand was we're going to use the back of the wafer for interconnect. Is that completely unprecedented? And then perhaps I can get you to, to give us some of the details about power via. Yes, to my knowledge, this is a complete innovation, a completely unprecedented innovation. Uh, and I'm super excited about this. And I'll tell you why uh, as I describe it. But the gist of it is, I think you got it right. Today, in a in you know everybody's process, there's a transistor layer, and then there's interconnects that connect things together on top. The interconnects are miles long overall, if you add everything up, and it's mostly copper still. What we are doing is some of those today are being used to deliver power to the transistors, and some of those are used to route signals around the chip from transistors to transistors. We're taking all of the power and ground wires off the top and sending them through the bottom. So now you're gonna get your power and your ground straight through to the transistor. And if you take a look at the picture I showed, those are gonna be on pretty pretty fat lines, right? Those are pretty big lines compared to what you see on top. The benefit of that is today, one of the problems we, we experience in the industry is the voltage drop from the top to the bottom. So, you know, Ohm's law of E equals IR, you got this IR drop coming through that system on the top. And you go to these big wires at the bottom and you virtually eliminate that, what we call voltage droop or IR drop, you virtually eliminate that. That is a tremendous benefit to power efficiency. So now the voltage you got coming into the chip at the at the top, that's what's getting to the transistor. Huge benefit from a from a power efficiency point of view. And and that's you know, really that's, cool. It is very cool. We're very excited about it. A lot of innovation goes into getting that technology uh, healthy and, and, you know, solid. And we feel pretty good about where we are right now. Mm -hmm. You know, so far that things are looking pretty good for that. And, and we'll, we expect we'll continue to. One of the things we're doing to make sure that we nail it when we get to Intel 20A is to do some of this stuff earlier. So basically make sure that we make some of these breakthrough technologies more robust by uh, combining them into an earlier node just to debug everything so that, when we go to put it into Intel 28, we've really debugged it and made sure it's robust. The other benefit of PowerVIA that I'm excited about is now we freed up some real estate on the top. We don't have those power and ground lines coming out of the top. So I can take that extra space. In some cases, uh, I have products that want those wires to be faster. They want to carry information faster between transistors. So we can reduce the resistance of those signal wires. We can reduce the capacitance and crosstalk between the wires, sort of make the wires faster as we go. Other applications are going to want to just save that space. Hey, you took out those wires on top, just scrunch the whole thing down, give me a little bit more density out of it. And we can play it either way. You know, So that's kind of then another exciting feature of this is we have options on what we do at the top now that we're doing, using it for signal routing. But, the, you know, it's it's going to uh, – I'm really excited about it. It's very innovative, and, and I do think it's groundbreaking innovation. Wafer processing is so precise. Is it a big deal to physically flip the wafer and deposit something on the underside? Uh, we think we've got it all kind of thought through. There's lots of, you know, little bits of innovation required here to make this technology work. But, you know, every step of the way, we've got a, an excellent team working on it. They've been 
experimenting in various aspects of this. We've got a, a good handle on the, the overall sequence we want to follow and what's going to happen at every step. We feel pretty confident in our plan to execute this and have it ready uh, in okay. time for Intel 28. Cool. we got a few short minutes left. So I wanted to ask you to talk to us about high numerical aperture EUV. Could you just give us a, tell us what the distinction is between what the EUV systems you have and what makes a high numerical aperture EUV different and uh, and then talk to us about what that might be able to do for processing technology. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. So just to walk back, I'll give you a little, little background on this. The lithography part of the fabrication process is really what's putting those small features down on the wafer. And, and a very important property of physics is that the the kind of dimension, the size of those features you can put down is related to the wavelength of light that you're using. The industry's gone through these jumps to shorter and shorter wavelengths of light over the past 50 years. Currently, kind of the workhorse before we got to EUV was the 193 nanometer wavelength. Right. Um, that lasted, you know, good long time. over a decade, a long time. EUV came along and it was a big jump. It went from 193 nanometers to 13 and a half nanometers. So it was a big jump. That is, a, that's not visible light. You're not going to be able to see the light. That's approaching X-rays down in right. there. That enables a big jump in wavelength, which enables a big jump in the size of the features you can put down. So that's the kind of current NA uh, of EUV is 0.33 numerical aperture. And numerical aperture, kind of a simple way to think of it is, it's the amount of light you capture through your lens system. So some of it gets lost on the sides. You know, I'm oversimplifying. I hope people don't get upset with that. But some of the light gets lost on the sides. This is the amount you capture and gets all the way through to the wafer. High NA takes you from a 0.33 numerical aperture to a 0.55 numerical aperture. And you are able to capture more of that light, which is still the same wavelength, 13 and a half nanometers, but you're now capturing more of it and being able to utilize more of it when you image something at the wafer. Uh, and that enables us to further extend how small we can make things. The super exciting part of this is where ASML is the manufacturer. We're working very, very closely with them. We have a plan between us and them to have the first high NA production tool. And you know we're gonna be working with them. We're gonna be working with the entire ecosystem of EUV, which includes uh, mask manufacturing, includes pellicles, which are the things that protect the mask, includes resists, it includes hard masks. We really have kind of an entire ecosystem that we're working very closely with. One of the elements of that ecosystem is mask writing. And, and then the mask writing company is one of our subsidiaries. So we're very, very engaged in this. We're very engaged with ASML and really excited to be able to have their first production tool. Well, fantastic. I know we've got 30 seconds left, so I'm going to take that to say thank you for coming on the show this week. I appreciate it, Sanjay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Brian. That was Intel Senior Vice President Sanjay Natarjan. Natarjan was being scrupulous about not making direct comparisons with TSMC and Samsung, but in other forums, he has made some generalized comments about the horse race with other foundry companies. He explained that Intel expects to be at process technology parity with its competitors in 2024 with its 20A node. In 2025, the company expects to regain manufacturing leadership when it introduces its 18A node. A big part of the reason Intel believes it will be able to regain that leadership position will be the adoption of high numerical aperture EUV lithography that you just heard us discussing a moment ago.
Historically, Intel has reserved the vast majority of its manufacturing output for its own semiconductor products. A few weeks back, the company announced it is going into the business of making chips for other companies. It's getting into the foundry business. This week, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger said that it has signed up AWS as a foundry customer. Specifically, AWS will be taking advantage of Intel's chip packaging technology. Gelsinger also said that Qualcomm is planning to base a major smartphone processing platform on Intel's A20 manufacturing node. That would be in 2024, and if Qualcomm sticks to the plan, that would be a significant endorsement for Intel. As Gelsinger crowed during the Intel press conference earlier this week, Intel Foundry Services is off to the races. And that wraps this episode of the Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. The podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.